family. Let us pray. Father God, open our hearts that we might learn and continue growing in your word. Help us to understand what the scripture is saying to us. Guide us by your spirit that we remain teachable. In your son Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Pastors Jonathan and Kim, I just want to say thank you so much for this opportunity. Thank you for the ministry here at Exceeding Grace Christian Center. You guys are an awesome bunch. I have never been around such a group of mature spiritually women and men, young and old. And I've been in the Word for a while, but never have I ever been amongst a group of men and women from the oldest to the youngest spiritually mature in the word. Pastor Kim and Jonathan, you're doing an awesome job. So I'm going to go right into it. Apostle Paul was delivering a message of hope. All the while he was enduring his own personal hardships of adversity for the sake of Christ, according to the spirit that's working in him. So I, I was looking at the scripture, and the letter that he was writing to the church of Corinth, he was encouraging them, but Paul didn't exclude himself. He included himself while he was encouraging others. He encouraged them of their purpose, their call, and why they need to continue advancing the kingdom of God. Life as we know is fragile. We are not exempt. We too as believers struggle with our own frailness, our brokenness, and the hurt and sufferings that this life brings our way. However, it is the spiritual challenge that the problem often presents. Let us ask ourselves, how are you doing in the midst of what you're going through? Or how are you encouraging others with what they're going through? Are you learning? Are you growing? Are you walking in your God-given authority? And what you have right now, is it enough to sustain you for the times ahead? And this is the question I had to ask myself. There is absolutely no way I can get up here and not even have labored in the word to even understand what I'm talking about. And I was listening to the song when he was saying, stay on the battlefield. Stay on the battlefield. Let's continue in this. So, which brings me to our scripture tonight, our focus scripture. Mita, can you please put up um, 2 Corinthians 4, 7? Are we there? But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellence of the power may be of God. This ain't about you. This ain't about me. This is about that excellent power of God that's working in us. Do you know your anointing that you have on your life will work for you? So stop giving it away all the time. Let the anointing on your own life carry you through because you have that treasure in you 
and it is the excellent power of God. And that excellent power of God is the light of God, which is the ministry of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the knowledge of God. And if you have the knowledge of God, and I'm addressing saints tonight. I ain't talking to non-believers. I'm talking to the body of Christ tonight. I'm talking about what you already have. I'm talking about what you already possess. We already have it. We already have the knowledge of God. We already have the grace. We already have the light. We carry the ministry and the life of Jesus Christ. We already have it. So let's continue in it. Let's continue in it. And in Proverbs 24.10, please. If you faint in the day of adversity, your strength is small. I couldn't say that a while ago, but I'm going to say it now. My strength ain't small no more. It ain't small no more. I have something in me that God want me to deliver. And I remember when Pastor Jonathan was up here a month ago, and it was an altar call, and he had the leaders to come up. And Pastor Jonathan said, you already know, I ain't going to lay hands on you. You know what you're facing. You know what you're dealing to. You know what you're dealing with. So let's talk about this light of the gospel, which is the ministry of Christ. And if we can please first go to 2 Corinthians 4.1. Everything is going to be in the New King James. Therefore, since we have this ministry, I'm talking to the saints. I'm talking to the leaders. Paul is addressing this letters to qualified leaders, the ministers of the gospel, the ones who say they are called. Therefore, since we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we do not lose heart. Don't quit. Don't give up. Endure. Persevere. And when I read that, the ministry that we are carrying, Jesus didn't give it to us without giving us mercy. He knew we needed mercy to get through what's ahead. So therefore, since we have this ministry, the light of the gospel, which is the ministry of Jesus Christ, we are carriers of that light. Therefore, do not lose heart. And we have mercy to do this. He's given us mercy along with this. The light of the gospel is part of the treasure Paul is speaking of. And it is the ministry of Christ and the message we proclaim. We proclaim the ministry of Christ. We are carriers of this light. The ministry of Christ and the life of Jesus carrying that. We carrying that. And in verse chapter um, 2 Corinthians 4, 6, let's get there. And in 2 Corinthians 4, 6, 
For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has alone shined it in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. That light, that same light in Genesis, right? That he commanded and there was light. That same light, right? Okay, we got that light. It has shined in our hearts. And then if you go back to 2 Corinthians 4, um, 6, that latter part of that verse, you will see where that light is even capable of shining on the hearts of people who don't believe. In that latter part of 2 Corinthians 4, um, 1, or 6, is it? The latter part of 2 Corinthians 4, 1, if you read down. Media, can you put up 4, 1? And verse 6. 2 Corinthians 4 and 6. In that latter part, it says, of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Nevertheless, how about that? Nevertheless, for God has given us this light and it has shined in our hearts. It's shined in our hearts. And that light was capable to shine on those people who don't believe. And that same light is capable to shine in our hearts who do believe. This light gives us knowledge of the glory of God. Colossians chapter 1 verse 12, please. Are we there? Colossians 1.12, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints. That's in the light. We are partakers of that. That great treasure, that light, it's an inheritance. And he calls us saints that are in the light. In Psalms 27, 1, in Psalms 27, 1, this light, this excellent power of God, this light, it purchased our salvation. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom should I fear? The Lord is my strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? That excellent light that excellent power of God, that light purchased our salvation. Psalms 139, 12. This is how awesome we are. This great treasure that's inside of us. Psalms 139, 12. Indeed, the darkness shall not hide from you. But the night shines as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to you. We can walk in a room full of darkness. And that excellent power of God, that light, is what we're talking about. And it's what we carry. 
And let's talk about another treasure in our vessels, the knowledge of God. It's also a part of a treasure. We possess it, and his power within us is a result of us knowing him. That word knowing is an intimate word. That word knowing is fellowship with him. That word knowing is to be close to him. That word knowing means we know him in an intimate way. That word knowing means relationship. So the knowledge of God is also a part of this treasure that we possess. And also, we know him like this. Paul says in Philippians 3.10. In Philippians 3.10, Paul says, This is how we know him. This is when we are saved and we sold out for Christ and we love the Lord and we carry the word and we possess this in our vessels. We carry around this great treasure. When we know him like that, Paul says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and his fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. When we know God, we become him. We become like him. In our walk, in our talk, in our conduct, our character, we should be oozing, knowing Jesus. It should be coming out of our pores that we know Jesus. So to know him, that's how close and connected in fellowship we should be. And in those hardships ahead, we need to know him. And not only know him, demonstrate it. We continue knowing him by fellowshipping with him. His power flows through us when we are in constant fellowship with him. We know him by revelation of his word. And in Colossians 1.9, Colossians 1.9. And in Colossians 1.9, I'm going to go to that le- the part where it starts with, here we go. For this reason, we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. That's relationship. That's spending time. That's practicing his presence. That's in his word. God wants to give us not only knowledge, but wisdom and understanding. God wants us to be filled with the knowledge of his will and his wisdom, which is his word and spiritual understanding. Stay in constant pursuit of knowing him and growing into the things of him helps us to endure. When we spend time and practice being in his presence, how many believe that the moment the spirit gives you revelation of his word and we gain an understanding, immediately growth takes place. And then we are empowered to overcome adversity. And repetition is key for the long haul. 
practice, 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 practice. God also, God has already given us valuable treasure placed on the inside of us. And his desire is for us to know that we are equipped for the adversity and we have what it takes to continue advancing his kingdom. And also in Colossians 126, 126 and 1 and 27. We're going to read Colossians chapter 1, verses 26 and also 27. The mystery which has been hidden from ages and from generations, but now has been revealed to his saints. God is not hiding nothing from us. God is not holding back on us. God has revealed himself to us. We are not without knowledge of God. I'm talking to the saints. I'm talking to the ministry of the gospel. I'm talking to the ones who carry that light. I'm talking to the ones who's carrying the light of Jesus Christ. We're not exempt, but yet... We have the knowledge of God. We know him in an intimate way. We have the light of God, which is the ministry of Jesus Christ. And in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 2 and 3. 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 2 and 3. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. God wants to increase his knowledge of who he is in each one of us. He wants to multiply what we already possess. We already have it. This great treasure we already have. How do we multiply it? How do we increase it? Ask yourself. How do we knowledge? How do we increase it? How does it multiply? You already know it. God is interested in multiplying our experience with him. God is interested in multiplying our experience with him. And let's talk about this grace. This grace. Can we please go to Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16? God is interested in multiplying what we already possess. We already have the ministry of Jesus Christ. We already have the knowledge. We know him intimately. And now this grace, this grace. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may, may obtain mercy. He go that mercy again. And find grace to help in the time of need. 
2 Corinthians 4, 7, you don't have to turn there, but that's 2 Corinthians 4, 7. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels that it may be the excellent power of God and not of us. So if he's given us this ministry with mercy, here come the grace. Here come the grace. So we have the authority to approach his throne of grace in the time of need. We're not exempt from struggle, but it's how we walk this thing out. It's how we walk this thing out. mentioned that we already receive mercy to not lose heart. This thing, mercy, accompanies our salvation. This thing, mercy, doesn't, it comes with what we already have. So please, let's go to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 6. We're still talking about this grace. We're going to need this. We're going to need this for the long haul. I know I need it. I know I need it. In Ephesians 1, 6, the riches of his grace abounds towards us. To the praise of the glory of his grace by which he made us accepted in the beloved. I'm not without any excuse because I already know what I have. It needs to be awakened. If it's been dormant and just laying there, it's time to wake it up. It's time to wake it up. So all this grace the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ that we carry, the knowledge of God is valuable treasure. And each one of us possess it. And I want to, and I'm going to go ahead and lead out in closing with hope of what you already have. So stay encouraged. Let's just look at Isaiah chapter 43, verse 2. I was wondering why did Paul sandwiched in 2 Corinthians 4.1 and then 2 Corinthians 4.6 and right under that when he said we are hard pressed on both sides. Now I know. Whenever we're facing adversity, it's for the word's sake. Satan is after the word. Satan is after the word. He's after the word. So in Isaiah 43, to be encouraged, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, nor shall the flame scorch you. The light of the gospel, the knowledge of God, 
and the grace would get us through. That's it. Come on, give God a praise tonight. Glory to God. You can make it. You are empowered to overcome. Amen. You have what it takes to overcome any obstacle. Again, I like what she kept saying. We're not exempt from the things that go on out there in the world. We're in this world. We're not of this world. So there are things that are going to come against us. Right? Weapons, they'll be formed. They just won't prosper. Right? Because we have what it takes on the inside to power through it. So we don't faint in the day of adversity. We... Uh, we have to increase in the knowledge of God. The more you and I know God, the more we trust him. We trust him. We don't, we don't flee. We don't panic. We don't, you know, get all anxious about anything. We trust God to work everything out. We know he's already worked it out. Amen. Come on, give God another big hand. Gives us a Lawanda big hand tonight. And then while you're standing, why don't you welcome our next speaker, a new young lady in our church, Miss Ebony Thomas, Ms. Ebony Thomas, as she comes tonight. Her dad came to cheer her on. I know she feels good to have dad here. Amen. God bless you. encouragement the scripture reading so I'm going to go to Romans 15 4 and read there it's just a hallelujah everybody hallelujah hallelujah thank you so can you read it with me get ready read for whatever things is written for, were written for our learning, that through, through patience and comfort, the scripture might have hope. All right. So I'm going to give you three definitions of the words we're going to constantly see. So the first one is hope, which means expectation, trust, and confidence. The next one is encouragement. Is the action of giving someone support, confidence, or hope. And then the last one will be confidence is good courage. Gotta have it. So my first point will be getting an understanding. So I will be going to Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5. And when you get it, say hallelujah. That's good. <laughs> Hallelujah. So it says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. And then my next scripture would be Isaiah 11 and 2. When you get it, say Hallelujah. Or on the screen. And it says, the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and fear of the Lord. 
And my next one will be Proverbs 4 and 7. And it reads, the wisdom is a principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom and get in all you're getting, get understanding. So when reading the Bible, you just can't say, I don't have understanding. You have to delight yourself in the word. You just can't close the Bible and say, okay, Lord, that's it. What's next? You have to delight yourself in the Lord. You have to hear his voice and download the Holy Spirit to translate and give you revelation. You have to, for example, since I work with kids, the kids and I have to have an understanding of how the classroom is ran. You can't just stick a child in the classroom and say, don't talk, don't throw toys. You have to tell them. You have to give them the ground rules. And for me as a teacher, I have to understand each child's teaching style. I can't just say this is the number one and expect them to know the value it holds or how important it is. You ha I have to spend every, I have to spend quality time with each child, and that's what God wants us to do with him while reading the Bible. This is good. <laughs> okay, and my second point, can y'all read these um, scripture with me so you can be encouraged? The next one would be, my next point is the Lord gives us encouragement. So my first scripture would be Acts 15, 31. And can you please read this one with some excitement? When you're ready, get ready, read. When they read it. They rejoice over its encouragement. My next one is Joshua chapter 1, verse 9. And it reads, Have I not commanded you? Be strong, of good courage. Do not be afraid, nor dismayed. For the Lord God is with you. Wherever you go. Yep, amen. So instead of saying good courage, we can say confidence. So the next one is Isaiah 41.10 in the Amplified Classic. Ooh, okay, I'm going to read this. It says, fear not, there is nothing to fear, for I am with you. Do not look around in terror, be dismayed, for I am God. I will strengthen and harden you. To yes, I will help you. Yes, I will hold you up and retain with, with my victorious right hand of righteousness. The Lord wants us to be encouraged when reading the Bible. He wants you to be in his presence and be encouraged. He wants to let you know that his word is forever and true. Once you get an understanding, then you have confidence to dig deeper with Father God and encourage others about your walk with God or with God. It's like when you set a goal for yourself, 
and you achieve it, now you want to go higher. So, for example, another example. In November, I was out of work. And while I was out of work, they kept calling me and telling me, if you don't pass it, well, it was a test I had to pass. And if I don't pass it, they're going to fire me. So then I called my flight leader, and she gave me this scripture, Philippians 4, 6, and the Phillips. Do not worry over anything, whatever. Tell God every detail of your needs in earnest and thankful prayer. And the peace of God, which transcends human understanding, will keep constant guard over your heart and mind in Jesus Christ. That encouraged me to keep going. And as I kept that word in my mind, I passed the test, and I was back to work that next week. And my third point is, there is hope in the word. So, my text will be from Romans chapter 5, verse 2. And it reads, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of glory of God. And my next one will be Psalms 130, verse 5. And it reads, I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. In his word, I do hope. And I put it in the Amplified Classic as well. And it said, I wait for the Lord. I expectantly wait. In his word, I hope. And then my last one will be from Psalms 31, 24. And it says, be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart and all who hope in his word. Again, we could say be in confidence. And it says, once you, get understand, once you get an understanding of the word, and now you have encouragement, you will know his hope is in the word and is forever true. So when I, look, when I was looking at this, I looked up the word strengthen, and it means to make stronger. And once you get an understanding, and once you know that there is hope, you get stronger in the word, and it wants you to dig deeper. So in conclusion, <laughs> God gives us encouragement and hope in whatever you do. He will give you hope. Come on, give Sister Ebony a big hand tonight. Give the Lord a hand for that word. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. All things that we see in scriptures are written that in reading them, we might have hope. When we look and see how God brought so-and-so out, David out and Daniel out and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego out and Joshua out, we, we have hope. And no matter what we face, no matter what we deal with in this world, God will bring every one of us out. He'll, he's going to be with us. It's the same scripture that you ended up in Isaiah. That when you pass through the fire, when you pass through the flow, you pass through the waters, I'm going to be with you. So you and I, I have hope. We're not exempt, but we have hope. The world doesn't have any hope. That's why they end up drugging out and drinking out and jumping off bridges. But you and I have hope. 
Amen. And not a false hope. A real hope and a real God who will always come through with us. Amen. Come on, give God one more big hand tonight. Praise the Lord. Well, tonight to close us out, we're going to call one of our veteran speakers up. And uh, she has plenty of time because these young ladies uh, went under time, each of them. So she has plenty of time to uh, just let the Lord use her. We all please welcome Minister Barbara Odom as she comes. <laughs> Minister Barbara Odom. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. I thought I was just going to slide in the back of the flight school class and be exempt from this part, but I guess I was wrong. Praise God. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> well, I'm happy to be here. And I uh, just want to thank Pastor and Pastor Kim for the opportunity to minister the word because it is a privilege. Let's pray. Father God, we just come to you tonight, Lord God, just giving you praise, just giving you glory, just giving you honor. We thank you so much for the privilege of being able to read your word, to hear your word, to receive your word. We thank you, God, for your presence here. We thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are our teacher, and I yield myself as a vessel to you, Lord, and I pray, God, that you would just uh, release rivers of revelation, God, that those, those, those living waters will just flow from your spirit through my belly, God, and that your people will be blessed, strengthened, and encouraged by this time in your word. And so we give you thanks, praise, glory, and honor in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, let's, <laughs> let's go to... Our main text, which is going to be 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. And it says, In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And it's just amazing how God can weave the same message <laughs> from three different speakers. And really, the Lord has been preaching this message all last week. <laughs> but uh, we're just going to see what the Lord has to say to us tonight. And so our topic tonight is trial by fire. Trial by fire. Um, you know, this has been declared the year of the turnaround. And it's still the year of the turnaround. And we have received so much last week. And I believe that God has really thrust us into the fulfillment of that word. And so we understand that we do have an adversary, right? And we understand that the closer we get to breakthrough, the more he tries to do all that he can to keep us from crossing over into what God said belongs to us. And so um, the enemy will send tests and trials with the hope that He'll wear us down. Because last week, we was on fire. 
I mean, we tore this floor up, didn't we? But the enemy's job is to send tests and trials to get us off of that, to make us forget all that jumping, all that shouting, all that word, all that prophecy, all that revelation, all that faith that was deposited in us. He'll send things that will try to uh, cause us to lose our faith and ultimately not possess the things that God wants us to possess, not walk into the things that God desires for us to walk into. And so tonight, God is going to show us how do we respond in the midst of these fiery trials, all right? We already heard it tonight. Fiery trials are inevitable. The Bible says in John 16, it says, these things I have spoken to you. Now, my Bible, this is red letters, so that means these are the words of Jesus, right? It says, these things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. And so we can be assured that the trials will come. But we can also be confident that Jesus Christ has already overcome those trials for us. All right? 1 Peter 4.12, it says, My dear friends, do not be surprised at these painful tests you are suffering as though something unusual were happening, were happening to you. So in other words, Peter's saying the same thing. He said, listen, don't be surprised. Don't be surprised when the enemy tries to act up. And that's the thing. We act like somebody said it, like we're exempt from the tests and trials of the enemy. But we already know we're not exempt. So do not be surprised as though something unusual were happening to you. So instead of being surprised and being caught off guard by the fiery trials of the enemy, what we need to do first is we need to make sure that we have the right perspective of trials. We have to look at the trials from the proper vantage point. So many times we look at the trial from this place of defeat, y'all. We start feeling sorry for ourselves. We start getting down. We start allowing our faith to just begin to shrink, right? Well, let's look at how does the Bible tell us we should respond when we face fiery trials. It says in uh, James chapter 1, verse 2, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. So in other words, our response to a trial should be rejoicing. Wipe the tears, <laughs> get up, clean yourself up, and rejoice. Let's see. God's word translation, that same verse says, my brothers and sisters, listen, look at this. Be very happy. When you are tested in different ways. Things as be very happy when you're tested in different ways. Now, the last time you went through a trial, were you very happy about it? But we're going to get happy about the trials, right? All right. The only way we can do that, though, is if we have God's perspective. All right? So we have to make sure that we're seeing ourselves properly and that we're seeing the trial properly. Now, here's the thing, Okay. We know that according to John 10, the Bible tells us that the thief comes except 
but to steal, to kill, and to destroy. All right? And a lot of times we, we feel as though the enemy's weapons can prosper. That's why we freak out in the tribe. Because we believe he can steal. We believe he can kill. We believe he can destroy. We believe that he can keep us from receiving what God said already belongs to us. And so we begin to freak out because we got more faith in the devil's ability to steal, kill, and destroy than God's ability to deliver us out of the fiery tribe. So we can't freak out in the trial. Why? Because no weapon that is formed against you shall prosper. Y'all, we have seen this over and over and over again in the scripture. I think about the book of Exodus when God needed a deliverer to deliver his people out of bondage. The enemy knew that. So what did he do? He tried to kill the assignment of Moses before he even set foot in this earth. He was on an assignment to destroy his purpose. But guess what? The weapon was formed, but the weapon did not prosper. Let's look at Job. Let's go, to, let's go to the book of Job. The book of Job. Job chapter 2, verse number 9. No, 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 not, not that one. Let me see. Job 2, 6. I'm still turning, y'all. Give me a second. I'm stuck on Esther. Hold on. All right. Job 2.6, it says, And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, he is in your hand, but spare his life. In other words, Job had said some things that allowed the enemy to have access to his life. But even in Job's foolish talking, there was still only so much that he could do to Job. Because there was a hedge of protection that was around him. And even though the enemy wanted to destroy his life, guess what? God said no. You can't destroy. You can't destroy. You can set a fiery trial. But you cannot destroy. And we have to get in our heads. We have to get in our hearts that no matter what fiery trial the enemy sends my way, I will not be destroyed. But I will come out. You can't be destroyed. You can't be destroyed. There is a purpose for your life. There is an assignment on your life. And the enemy cannot destroy you. Do you believe that? Yes. Do you believe that? Yes. Man. Let's go to Genesis 37. Genesis 
37, 18. And it says, now, when they saw him afar off, even before he came near them, they conspired against him to kill him. This is talking about Joseph. Then they said to one another, look, this dreamer is coming. Come, therefore, let us now do what? Kill him and cast him into some pit. And we shall say some wild beast has devoured him. We shall see what will become of his dreams. But Reuben heard it, and he delivered him out of their hands and said, you can't kill him. There was a purpose for him. There was an assignment for him. God's hand is upon him, and you cannot kill him. And so we see this pattern over and over again where the enemy would try to take somebody out in order to stop the plan of God on their lives. But every single time he was unsuccessful. Guess what? Every single time in your life he will be unsuccessful. So, man, not only did the enemy's attempt to stop the plan of God not prosper, in many cases, it backfired. They thought that they killed Jesus. The enemy thought that it was over. He thought that he had won, but three days later, he realized that the plan backfired. The Bible even says that if they had known, they would have never even messed with Jesus. If they had known the victory that the people of God would walk in, they would have never even killed Jesus. Backfire. I think about the book of Esther. When Haman wanted to, to destroy God's people from the face of the earth. Can I tell you something? The same gallows that he built for Mordecai, it backfired. The same plan that he had set up for the children of Israel, it backfired. I need somebody to yell, backfire. The same trap that the enemy set for you, it's going to backfire. Huh. The same fiery trial that the enemy sent for you, guess what? It's going to backfire. Because we know that in the last day, where is he going to end up? In the fiery pit. It's going to backfire. All right. Now we have to make up in our mind that the enemy cannot destroy us. We have to make up in our mind that the enemy cannot stop the plan of God that he has for our lives. 
we have to make up in our minds that the enemy cannot stop the turnaround that has already started in our lives in this year. We got to make it up in our minds. Now, we know that the enemy's plan is not going to prosper. But we got to understand that God can take that same fiery trial that the enemy tried to use to destroy us and he can flip it around and he can make it work for our good. And so we are going to look at three purposes for trials in our lives. Three ways that God uses trials, all right? So the first one we see here is to try, to try us, all right? Let's look at 1 Peter 1.7 in the Good News Translation. And it says, their purpose is to prove that your faith is genuine. Even gold, which can be destroyed, is tested by fire. And so your faith, which is much more precious than gold, must also be tested so that it may endure. Then you will receive praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed. And so it tells us very plainly that the trials have a purpose. And one of the purposes of the trials is to prove that your faith is genuine. Now, let's look at another verse here. 1 Peter 4.12. 1 Peter 4.12 in the Amplified. And it says, Beloved, do not be amazed and bewildered at the fiery ordeal which is taking place to test your quality. As though something strange, unusual, and alien to you and your position were befalling you. So again, here we see that the purpose of the fiery trial is to test your quality. All right? Now, this word to try is uh, Strong's G3986. I'm not going to try to pronounce it. But it means the trial of man's fidelity, integrity, virtue, and constancy. All right? So when we go through these trials, God can use the trial to test our fidelity, our integrity, our virtue, and our constancy. Now, let's break this down a little bit. This word fidelity means your faithfulness to a person, a cause, or belief demonstrated by continued loyalty. In other words, God wants to see. Are you still going to be faithful to him? When things are not going your way. He wants to know, are you going to stick with We sung it earlier today. I promise him that I would serve him till I die. Well, do we mean that or do we serve him as long as it's convenient and comfortable for us? 
See, what do you do in the trial? What do you do in the trial? How do you serve in the trial? How do you worship in the trial? How do you pray in the trial? Or do you give God the cold shoulder because you didn't get the answer that you wanted when you wanted it? See, we got to be faithful in the trial. God has to know that you will not leave him when things don't go your way. See, we want to be used by God. We want to be used by God, right? Well, if you want to be used, you got to be faithful. You got to be faithful in the good and the bad. You got to be faithful when they're clapping and when they're not. You got to be faithful. Not only do the trials test our fidelity. Uh-oh, here's a big one. The trials test our integrity. See, it's real easy to be integrous when, you, when your bank account is full. It's real easy. But what happens to your integrity when you need something? When you're going through a fiery financial trial, what happens to your integrity then? Is your tithing still the same? Is your giving still the same? Is your sowing still the same? Or do you lose your integrity because you're going through a financial trial? It's your integrity. Are you able to stand up in the midst of the trial? Are you able to maintain your virtue in the midst of the trial? Are you able to be constant and consistent even in the midst of a trial? Or do you go up and down with situations and circumstances? Integrity. See, when you get in a financial position, a tight spot, sometimes people find themselves doing stuff that they never thought they would do. They never thought they would do because they got in a fiery trial. And so now they're doing stuff that's out of character. And we find out what's really on the inside. We find out the genuineness of your faith. We find out what are you really trusting in. Who are you really trusting in? Where is your faith really lying? A trial going to tell you what's going on. When you're going through a trial in your marriage. You're going through a trial in your marriage. He don't listen to you like he used to listen. She don't get dressed up like she used to get dressed up. What happens to your fidelity? What happens to your integrity? You find yourself doing some stuff that you never thought you would do. <laughs> it's easy to do right when everything is good, y'all. It's easy to do right when everything is good. But for where God wants to take us, y'all, our integrity has to be solid. Our integrity has to be unshakable. Our constancy has to be unchanging. Let's go to Job chapter 2. 
Job chapter 2. Job chapter 2, verse 9. We know what happened to Job. The devil attacked every area of his life that he could. That he could. Job's response, it says, this is Job 2, 9. It says, then his wife said to him, do you still hold fast to your integrity? Curse God and die. Job, but he said to her, you speak as one of the foolish women speaks. Shall we indeed accept good from God, and shall we not accept adversity? And look at this. In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. And we know that the Bible says in James 3 that if you cannot sin with your mouth, your whole life is going to be in order. So not only did, not, did Job not sin with his lips, but Job remained faithful to God even when he was going through his fiery trials. All right, we know that Joseph was tested. That was a serious test of his integrity. Multiple times. We know Jesus was tested. Y'all, before Jesus could even be launched out into ministry, he went through a period of testing. Now, if Jesus had to go through testing... All right, so... In addition to the trials being used to try us, the next thing we want to look at is that the trials are used to develop us. They're used to develop us, okay? They're going to develop us in a couple of areas, our character and our faith. Let's go to Romans 5. Let's just jump right to the Amplified for the sake of time. It says, moreover, let us, also be, let us also be full of joy now. Let us exult and triumph in our troubles and rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that pressure and affliction and hardship produce patient and unswerving endurance. And endurance, fortitude, I'm sorry, and endurance, fortitude, develops maturity of character, which is approved faith and tried integrity, and character of this sort produces the, behave, the habit of joyful and confident hope of eternal salvation. Now, just for clarity, let me read the New King James. It says, not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance perseverance character and character hope all right um let's go to james chapter one verses two through four and it says my brethren count it all joy when you fall into various trials knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience but let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete lacking nothing all right so those two verses they show us that the trial that we that we go through it 
produces something in us, right? It, it produces character in us. It, it produces something. There are some things that God, through trials, can work out of you. There are some things that need to be worked out of us, y'all. There's some pride and some anger and some bitterness and some things that need to be worked out of us. Some doubt and some unbelief that need to be worked out of us. But there are some things that God can work in us through the trial. And so when we're going through the trial, we have to understand that the trial is working for us. Now, we don't like it. I know we don't like it. But we already established that it can't destroy you. So we might as well go ahead and let it work what it's going to work in us. We might as well go ahead and let it develop the character and the perseverance that are necessary to obtain the promises of God. The Bible says that we obtain the promises by faith and patience. And guess what the Bible says the trial is working for us. It's going to produce patience. So we, we can let it work. Let it work. Let your character be developed. Ask the Lord, Lord, what is it that you're working out of me through this trial? What is it that you are working into me through this trial? What is it that you want to do in me through this trial? So in addition to developing our character, trials also give us an opportunity to exercise our faith. The Bible tells us that our faith is a gift of God. The Bible also tells us that every man has received the measure of faith. But what we have to learn to do is we have to learn in the midst of the trial to exercise your faith. And as you exercise your faith, your faith will begin to grow. Your faith will begin to increase. And then you won't find yourself fainting in the day of adversity. How do we exercise our faith in trials? The Bible tells us that Abraham did it. In Romans chapter 4, verse 18, in the Passion Translation, it says, against all odds, when it looked hopeless, Abraham believed the promise and expected God to fulfill it. He took God at his word, and as a result, he became the father of many nations. God's declaration over him came to pass. Your descendants will be so many that they will be impossible to count. And so we see here at the beginning of this verse, it says, against all odds when it looked hopeless. That is when we exercise our faith. That is when we have to make a conscious decision to believe what God said. That is when, when everything looks hopeless, when everything looks dead, when everything looks impossible. That is the time when you got to rise up. That is the time when you got to stir up that gift of faith that's already in you so that you can overcome this fiery trial. So we got to believe when it looks hopeless. We got to believe when it looks like it's over. And we don't just believe anything, but we have to believe the promise we have to believe the word. 
So what's the word? What is the word that you have to anchor yourself to when it looks hopeless? What's the promise? What's the word? Because if you don't have the word, you don't have anything to, 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 to stand on. You don't have anything to go back to. So this is when we have to exercise. We see it in the Bible. We see it in the three Hebrew boys. When their faith in the midst of that fiery trial. Look, we're talking about a figurative fiery trial. They had a literal fiery trial. That they had to exercise their faith and they had to say, we don't care what you decide to do. I know my God will deliver. And so even when they, the Bible says that they, they bound them up before they threw them in the fire. So in the process of them being bound, in the process of them being tied up, they still had to stand in faith. In the process of the men, y'all know the men that threw them in got burned up. And in the midst of that hopeless-looking situation, they still had to stand in faith. Joseph looked like his life was going backwards. What do you do when it looks like your life is going backwards? But in the midst of the false accusations... In the midst of the prison sentence, in the midst of scrubbing the floors or whatever he was doing at Potiphar's house, he held on to the dream. He held on to the vision. He held on to the word that God had spoken to him in his youth. He exercised his faith. You got to exercise it. You know you can't exercise without resistance, right? Right. In order for something to be exercised, you got to have resistance. And so when the enemy sends resistance, all that is is a workout, y'all. All that is is an opportunity to stand up in faith. All that is is an opportunity to stir up that gift of faith that's already on the inside of you. So we got to let the trial develop our character. We got to let the, the trial develop our faith. Now, let's go to the last one here. The last one is God uses the fiery trials to promote us and to reveal his glory. We like this part, don't we? You know... When gold is being processed, I looked, up, I looked it up. I looked, I looked up a video because I didn't know how the process worked. And I don't know if this is standard, but the one that I saw, the man put literally a ton of dirt in a big old line of machines. And when it came through the machines, it still looked like dirt. But it was real small. Like he put a ton of dirt, and it was a, like a button size piece of whatever, right? And I'm like, that ain't, that ain't, what is that? But there was one more step left. They had to put it in the fire. <laughs> and when they put it in the fire and it came out, I said, okay, now that's the goal that I know. <laughs> 
Because it came out of the fire with a brilliance that it didn't have when it went in there. It came out of the fire with a level of glory that it didn't have when it went in there. Psalm 66, verse 10. In the Passion Translation, it says, O Lord, we have passed through your fire like precious metal made pure. You've proved us perfected us and made us holy you've captured us ensnared us in your net then like prisoners you place chains around our necks verse 12 you've allowed our enemies to prevail against us we pass through fire and flood yet in the end you always bring us out look at this better than we were before saturated with your goodness See, you go in the trial one way. But when you come out of the trial, you're going to come out with a new level of glory that you didn't have before. You're going to come out with a new level of brilliance, a new shine that you didn't have before. Let's look at this. Romans 8, 18. This is amplified. It says, but what of that? For I consider... That the sufferings of this present time, this present life, are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is about to be revealed to us and in us and for us and conferred on us. Now this word revealed, it, ble it blessed me. This word revealed... It means to uncover, to, to lay open, look at this, what has been veiled or covered up. To make known, to make manifest, or to disclose what before was unknown. So in other words, the glory is already there. The glory is already in you. Miss Lawanda already told us that we have a treasure in earthen vessels. But until you come through your fiery trial, the glory will be concealed. The glory will be covered up. But when we allow ourselves to go through the trial, when we allow ourselves to be refined and processed by the fiery trials, we're going to come out with a new glory. We're going to come out with a new glory. Do you know what the glory is? Do you know what the glory is that you're already carrying, that's already in you? You know, Jesus was walking around this earth with glory. And they knew he had some glory. But it was three disciples that saw the glory in a way that other people didn't see it. It was three disciples that when they went up on that mountain, they were able to see the revelation of the glory of Jesus that was in him. That glory that was on the inside came on the 
and they were able to see it. Can I tell you something? I hear the Bible saying, arise, shine, thy light has come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. Glory. The weight of God. The splendor of God. The majesty of God. The power of God. In you. It says conferred on you. And for you. Hallelujah. 2 Corinthians 4.17 says, For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Do you know that your glorious life starts now? That's what eternal means. It means that your glorious life starts now. So if we're able, come on now, got to be able. You have to be able to allow the trial to work in you. Allow it to refine you. Allow it to work those things out and work those things in. in. And when you do, Job 23.10 says, but he knows the way that I take. He says, he says, when he has tested me, I shall come forth as gold. Anybody going to come forth as gold in 2022? Anybody want to come forth with a new level of brilliance, a new level of glory, a new shine, a new weight of the presence of God on your life? Don't run from the trials, y'all. Rejoice in the trials and let them work for your glory. Amen. Come on, you ought to triple that. Give God a big praise tonight. Come on, give God a big, 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 big praise, a glorious praise. He is working in us both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Hallelujah. And every trial that we face, it's not from God, but God turns those things and uses them to make us into who we ought to be. Hallelujah. I want you to give Miss Barbara a big hand tonight, Sister Barbara. While you're clapping, go ahead and give Sister Lawanda a big hand. Sister Evan a big hand. Continue clapping for Sister Barbara tonight and give God a big hand tonight. Praise the Lord. We've been fed richly tonight by the word of God. Hallelujah. You got to get a good vantage point to see these things.